As we continue to get closer and closer to Christmas, we continue to walk through the story together and look at some of the key characters that we find in it to see what they can show us about how God uses our stories within God's story, about how our own small stories, where we're called to faithfulness and trust and love, are taken up into the grand story of redemption and reconciliation that God is working in the world around us. In the first week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents. The second week, we looked at Mary, Jesus' mother. And today, we get to look at Joseph, his father. We rarely look at Joseph when we look at the Christmas story. He just sort of blends into the wallpaper of the nativity. But Matthew's whole account of Jesus' birth and early years come from Joseph's perspective, a wonderful balance to Luke's Mary-centered version of the story. So before we turn and hear of Matthew's account and Joseph's role, let's pray together. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our single concern. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that we love. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look! A virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And Joseph called him Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So to understand Joseph in this story, we need to first understand what happens. As part of the story opens with Joseph and Mary engaged to one another. Engagement in their culture is quite different from engagement in ours. Engagement in ours is a much less formal thing. It's the first step toward marriage, surely, but there aren't really any consequences to backing out of an engagement, except maybe deposits for some wedding vendors. Their world was quite different. Engagement itself was a legal contract between these two families that these two individuals would be given in marriage to one another. It was a very formal, structured thing. The two were already legally bound to each other, even if they weren't yet husband and wife. This is why Joseph is pondering divorce, even though they're only engaged. And we find out quickly, too, why he's considering this. Mary, it comes to light, is pregnant. 
and then just as much as now, that really only means one thing. Mary is no longer a virgin. And in their world, this is a very big deal. And it's not because of regressive Victorian values or because they thought sex was dirty or bad. It was for a few reasons. Part of the reason that mattered is because they lived in a culture that was all about honor and shame. Your worth in that culture was all about your family's social standing. You were not defined as an individual. You didn't find your worth in yourself. Self-esteem would have meant absolutely nothing in their world. It was all about the social capital of your family and how they were viewed by other families within your community. When Mary's pregnancy came to light in this community, it would have been a source of great shame for her and everyone connected to it. And in fact, the way that Joseph could maintain his own honor and that of his family would have been to divorce her and separate himself from the scandal, making clear this child was not his, making her bear the shame was the way he could maintain honor for his own family. There's also legal issues about why this is a big deal that Mary is pregnant. Because in a culture where the firstborn son inherits a double portion, and when the passing down of land and the way it needs to stay within the right family, when all of this is such a big deal, it matters that your firstborn son is actually your firstborn son. And then layered over all of that is a Jewish understanding about the sanctity of marriage as a covenantal union between this man and this woman. The Bible begins and ends with heaven and earth united together and in both scenes, marriage is prominently displayed. In creation, man and woman are made in God's image and the two are joined together into one flesh as the climax of all that God is doing in creation. At the end, in Revelation, the new heaven and new earth are revealed coming down as a bride adorned for her husband, God. And it's the binding together of these two complementary opposites in marriage that's supposed to be a signpost pointing us to what God is doing in bringing heaven and earth together. Marriage is a holy thing about far more than two people spending the rest of their lives together. And within marriage, it's sex that enacts that complete physical, spiritual, and relational union. It's a physical embodiment of the two becoming one flesh. And that's why sex before and outside of marriage matters. Because you're doing something with your body that you are not willing or not able to say and do. And it cheapens it into a simply physical act filled with dishonesty. All of this is why Joseph is pondering divorce. Adultery, in fact, in their day was the only acceptable reason for divorce. And so he's well within his rights. If you put yourself in his shoes, I'm wondering what you're feeling at this moment. I wonder how you're responding when it comes to light that Mary is pregnant. Is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it pain over the rejection is it maybe a creeping bitterness or regret, rage? 
It's not hard to imagine someone in Joseph's shoes going out of their way to destroy Mary in retaliation for what she's done to them. To make them feel something of the pain they're feeling. To go out of their way to drag her through the streets and force her to wear the scarlet letter. But Joseph doesn't. And that's the first clue that there's something different about this man that there's something in his character that we need to pay attention to. Divorcing Mary like this would have ruined her life, not just the shame of the pregnancy, but the rejection of her own family, the destruction of her future. She would not remarry and would be essentially destitute with a child. And Joseph, even in all the pain and anger he likely feels, chooses not to do this to Mary that he will divorce her, but he'll do it quietly. He will seek to save her from whatever disgrace he can in the process. Even as he makes his way out the door, he will try to protect her in some way. It's compassion. It's mercy, in a sense. Choosing not to give her what she deserves, to not just rage against her, but to respond to this, even this, with some mercy and compassion, to bear some of the cost of her betrayal himself and some of the shame by doing it quietly instead of loud and publicly. And that says a lot about someone. This is his plan to divorce her, but do it quietly. At least that's the plan until he goes to sleep that night. And in a dream, everything changes. The angel of the Lord shows up in this dream and says to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And he believes it. He wakes up and on nothing but a dream believes it, takes Mary as his wife when the child is born, names him Jesus, raises him as his own. He just believes. There's great danger when we become too familiar with these biblical stories because they lose their strangeness. So let's take a moment to make this strange again. Joseph is betrothed. Mary becomes pregnant. It's not his child. That can only mean one thing. But an angel shows up in a dream, tells him marry her anyway because this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, will save God's people from their sins. Mary has not been unfaithful. She's still a virgin, I promise. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine waking up, telling my friends about the crazy dream I had, and going about things exactly as I had planned to do them, right? But Joseph believes. For some reason, we have this sense that it must have been easier to believe in all this back then than it is now. That with all our advancements, it would be so much harder for us, impossible really, to believe in a virgin conception. But that they really didn't know that much and would tend to believe anything, right? Trust me that humans have known for a very long time how children are made. (laughs) And a virgin conception would be just as unbelievable then as it is now. 
that sure, there were lots of myths in the day about demigods conceived when gods like Zeus would disguise themselves as humans and come down to seduce or rape women, but this was something different entirely. Mary was still a virgin, and that then as now is nonsense and literally unbelievable. This is not something people were expecting. There was no precedence for Joseph to believe that this would be a thing. Yet Joseph believes it and more so steps out to live like it's so. He takes Mary as his wife. When the child is born, names him Jesus as he's told, takes him as his own and raises him. Earlier, we saw compassion and mercy. Now we see faith. Faith that causes him to step past what makes sense, step past what seems believable, to step past what's required or expected of him, to step out into the darkness of unknowing. That he is willing to trust in God's promise, though it remains entirely unseen. And this faith isn't just a matter of believing something but submitting his life to it. There is deep self-sacrifice that comes with what Joseph does here. He submits his own dreams and desires to this thing that God is doing. He gives up his ideas of how he imagined his life would turn out. He gives up the idea that his firstborn son would be his own and submits to adopting this boy and raising him as his own. Some of you know it is no easy thing to join families together, to raise someone else's child as though they're your own. It takes humility and a magnanimous soul to surrender and give up yourself for another's good. It takes long suffering, mercy and compassion to raise a child that is not yours. And as I thought about this all week, about how Joseph responds to this situation, about this deep compassion and mercy, his faith and trust and self-sacrifice, it sounded familiar. But I couldn't quite put my finger on the other story. Sam figured it out. And she gave you a hint earlier. Boaz. Boaz. Right? This summer, we spent four weeks in the book of Ruth looking at this story, looking at Boaz, a man who went above and beyond what was required of him as he treated a vulnerable woman with compassion and mercy, a man, who's, a man of faith who believed in God and in God's ways and lived them out, a man who brought Ruth and Naomi into his home, though he didn't have to, who had a son with Ruth to carry on the family line and inheritance of another man and raised him as his own, a man who lived Hesed. Do you remember Hesed? Steadfast, loving kindness, mercy, loyalty, faithfulness. Ruth shows Hesed to Naomi by staying with her when she doesn't have to. Boaz shows Hesed to Ruth and Naomi by providing for them far more than was required of him. And through all of it, God's Hesed is poured out, not only into them, but into the world, since they are the great-grandparents of David. 
God's hesed comes into the world through their hesed toward one another. God's dogged determination to be with us, to love us, even though we break our covenant, even though we are unfaithful in this marriage with God, even still, God chooses not to divorce us, which is fully within his rights in the covenant, but bear the cost himself, taking us as his bride and shaping us into the new bride of Revelation 21. Joseph shows this same hesed, steadfast love and mercy that goes beyond what is deserved or required, faithfulness even when it comes at great personal cost. And by doing so, he provides a way for Emmanuel, God with us, to come. And so once more in these stories, we see how someone's story is taken up into God's. For God does not work in this world despite us. God doesn't tell us to stand aside so that God can do all this work on God's own. God does not want to do this for us, but to do it with us. And God calls each of us to join into the work of what God is doing in the world, to love God and love our neighbor, to shine that hesed into this small corner of the world in every way we are able. But that work itself is not small. It's exactly the kind of work that opens the door for God's own hesed to come. By living this hesed, mercy, steadfast love, Joseph now opens the door for God's hesed to come into the world in this child, Jesus, whom the angel says will save his people from their sins. How are we being invited to shine that same compassion and mercy, faithfulness and self-sacrifice as we love God, as we love our neighbors? We continue to ponder as we wait and watch for Jesus to come, but how our lives might be taken up into the same story. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we continue to thank you for this story, for the wonder of it all, for the faith and trust that people like Joseph and Mary show, for the faithfulness of your own that is on display as this child makes his way into the world. And so as we wait for your coming again, continue to fix our eyes on that coming, on this child who does not remain a child but grows up and now sits upon the throne in heaven above. And as we seek to follow and serve him, Lord, take our lives up into your story of redemption and use us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.